The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hello, my friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. This show is produced by the American Negotiation Institute, and with over 5 million downloads and listeners in over 180 countries, listeners just like you have made this the number one negotiation podcast in the world. Hi, my name is Kwame Christian, and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. Here at ANI, we believe that the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations, and we are passionate about providing providing you with the best content that will help you to make your difficult conversations easier, both at work and at home. Lastly, I want to remind you that we offer consulting and conduct trainings, both virtually and in person, all around the world. Our focus is in three main areas. First, negotiation and conflict resolution. Second, leadership. And lastly, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Check the link in the description below to learn more about how we could work with you and your team. And now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Mache, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Kwame. I must say that uh, it, it feels, feels very special because I've been listening to your podcast for a long time and it has helped me on multiple occasions. So yeah, this, this, is, this is something very special and I'm really glad to be here. Hey, it's our pleasure. I'm, I'm excited to have you. We've been chatting for a while now. We connected on LinkedIn. So listeners, when I tell you to connect with me on LinkedIn, I am, this is not an empty offer, okay? <laughs> so make sure you reach out. But yeah, so let's go ahead and get started by telling the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay. So, um, well, I, I, I'm a psychologist and I'm, I will maybe do the best or the most accurate thing that I can call myself is, is psychologist in business because I'm not really a, a psycho organizational psychologist. I have graduated in psychology, uh, in, in organizational and clinical psychology, but I'm not a practicing psychologist. So this is, this is not my area of expertise. And maybe the, the, the path that I chose to, to take was, uh, was really going to business and uh, to get to know this kind of environment and to have to to uh, enrich this um, enrich those business uh, the business decision or enrich this kind of environment with a psychological mindset so bring bring a bit of psychology into into business but not in the like coaching way or or in a consultant way but being on the front line but still with a with psychological mindset because i i believe that there are lots of things in psychology, lots of concepts that businesses can learn from or benefit from. So, yes, this is, this is what they do. I'm, I'm, I'm simply put, right now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm working in procurement. I have been working in, in a supply chain in Procter and Gamble, and uh, I've been before. I've been, I, I, I had worked for IT company, so I've been both on both sides, on the sales side of things and on procurement side of things, and I have seen that it materialized, so to say, in supply chain. So, so this, this is my, this is my background. 
Fantastic. Yeah. And, and it's an impressive background because I really like how you've been able to marry psychology with what you're doing in the business world because you're negotiating high level content, uh, contracts. And before you were selling um, high level contracts as well. So you've been on both sides and you have the, the psychological background too. And um, I'm really excited to have this, this nerdy moment with you because <laughs> my, my undergrad degree is in psychology too. And so I, I love getting deep into that. Uh, and and figuring out how what we the way that we see the world mm-hmm. and these various cognitive processes impact our decision making and our ability to persuade. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And so yes. let's let's start off by just talking about the benefit of psychology in business as it relates to negotiation. Um, what sure. have you seen? So to me, it is. Like I, I was talking uh, when I was introducing myself, I was talking about the psychology in business. And to me, that's so underestimated. I think that it, it is puzzling to me that so many bright people, like when, when I see people negotiating and people who are in procurement or in sales, there are hundreds or thousands of bright people. They are, they are very intelligent. They are motivated. But a vast majority just thinks about the, the techniques about the you know the how how they or they they prepare to negotiations they read a lot they they try to be better and better but they still often skip a very important or to my to my understanding the most important part of it which is training your thinking and that thinking is not only something that uh, you are bo- like you the, you have you have a brain that you were born with and you have just you know a, some sort of certain level of IQ, it is a skill to be learned and to be polished. So I think this is something that is is not uh, realized to the extent that it should, especially in negotiations. So when we we think about you know uh, how to how to be better and using our gestures, about using our nonverbal communication, how to keep the right level of eye contact and so on, and then you realize that you didn't do that you didn't uh, you don't even you might not have the proper foundation for that because you uh, like if you choose to to go with the metaphor of a war or a battle then you might say that you have invested invested in in banners in uh, in a weapon and 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 but you are just giving all of that to to you know to raw recruits to people who don't know what to do with it so if you if your brain if you have got all the skills but your brain doesn't function or your brain doesn't realize it does mistakes and doesn't learn, then you are still an army of recruits and your lines are going to crumble at certain and certain and certain point in time. So you are you are left with nothing but banners and with nothing but uh, but you know very fancy equipment which cannot do any harm. So that's that's why I think it's it's so crucial to 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 bring the psychological mindset into negotiations. Yeah. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. You're spot on, spot on. And you're right. I think a lot of times we focus so much on the tactics, Mm -hmm. what we should do, but we don't think about how we think that whole metacognition um, that, that comes into play, right. Just for ourselves and then understanding other people as well. It is, it is fascinating to me. And I think that we can learn a lot of, a lot, in fact, from uh, psychotherapists. Like if you, if you, if you, think about negotiations and then this is something that uh, uh, that excites you that's something that you are emotional emotionally very engaged 
So you should be the even more cautious in this situation because you are so emotionally tied and so emotional, uh, so excited about it. So you know that this, this is something meaningful to you. So in case of psychotherapy, you, you have this kind of uh, supervision or something like that. Or, or you try to have this kind of meta level that you are looking at yourself, so say, say from outside and analyzing your own behavior. And I think that we are sometimes in negotiation losing this kind of uh, point of view that you are not using this meta level to analyze your own negotiations, which I think brings huge benefits. Absolutely. And, and so for our listeners, uh, I know the, the big question that they want to ask is, how do we make our deals better? And so when it comes to the different uh, cognitive biases that might negatively impact our, uh, our outcomes in these negotiations, um, what do you think comes into play when we are regularly entering into bad deals? Well, I, I think in, in general, it is good to understand that this is, this, our errors are not uh, errors in every context. They are not errors just in general. They are so sort of a byproduct. So when uh, when you think about our own thinking and about our own mind you might uh, you might you as a, as an under as a, as a as you have graduated in psychology then you might recall kahneman and the system 1 and system 2 idea so uh, so that our minds in in general uses two different ways of processing information and the first one the system 1 is something that we might call the i really like the phrase in 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 america or in in english because i think it transfers the meaning in the meaning so that the gut feeling and i think that really really well illustrates what the system 1 is it is very emotional it is it is fast it's very responsive so you you can quickly make a decision you can you can quickly you know when if you were uh, if you were uh, running away from from a lion then the system one would be the one that would uh, make it possible, right? So this is, this is the tool that you would use. And on the other hand, we have the system two. And system two is the something that is much more logical. It, it enable, uh, enables us to explore things, to solve complex problems. Uh, the, the problem is that we are often using the system one when we should really be using system two. And because of the fact that our environment changed so much from the evolutionary days, evolutionary era, or our evolutionary environment, well, where we were uh, being chased by lions. It's changed so much. You are right now surrounded by, you know, skyscrapers and so on, and you you are in this complex complex civilization with these complex behaviors. So this environment demands from you more and more using the system two instead of system one. But because of the Fact the system one is so fast, so fast. It's so energy efficient. It is so. It feels good to use it. Simply, simply put. So then you are just reverting back to the system one, uh, and and maybe just as a background, it is important to understand that the, the the heuristics that we are using, so the mental shortcuts that we are using to to process the world in a in a easier way, they are not bad per se they are not bad as a general in general because they they made you survive but they are bad in a certain context and negotiations is the context where we should be using system two because this is like solving a complex problem exactly that so uh in case in case of entering <laughs> that was a long way that was a long introduction to the to the to answering your question but i think that what makes us enter the 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 deals, the, the unprofitable deals, 
is the is the confirmation by or is is the sunk is the sunk cost fallacy and let me explain why does your company invest in professional development training if you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop all you need to do is go to our website fill out the workshop request form and then we'll set up a time to chat these workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. So uh, when you think of negotiations, the negotiations is often the, the last step of a very long process. So it is not that you are just going into negotiations and you know, this is the moment where you learn about everything and so on, and that, no, this is not the case. Negotiations may often be, you know, few hours of a few months process. So when you think, when you think about that, that before those negotiations, what happened is that procurement has been preparing for a very long time. They have been drafting the RFX strategy, they have been drafting contracts, they have been consulting lawyers, they have been consulting their stakeholders, they have invested a lot of time, energy and money into making this process right. And the same happened on the second side of the deal. So when you think about sales people or the sales, sales reps or, or key account managers, or whoever, whoever is negotiating the deals from the sales point of view, then those guys have been preparing to nail this deal for a very long time. They, they, they were preparing the bids, they were preparing offers, they have some, some like marketing agencies might, might have been preparing mock-ups and so on. So again, those people have invested a lot to make this happen. And then when you, come to the negotiations you are you know at the at the end of this very long process and you are under huge pressure to strike the deal you you are under huge pressure from your stakeholders under huge pressure from your you might be under a huge pressure from your company to make this work out to you know to have the return on investment you have invested a lot and now everybody wants that to pay off to to pay off so nobody wants just to say like okay we have just spent few hundred thousand dollars on, on, on nothing to, to, to learn that we could have done something different. Nobody wants to say that. So in this case, we just follow along and we sometimes, you know, sign our own death sentence because we are under so, so much pressure or we just don't see any, we, we fail to see different options because we are so tied to the costs that we have already paid. 
Right. It makes a lot of sense. And I think it, this is something that we all fall victim to in not just in negotiations, but in general, yeah. in, in all aspects of our life. I think, I think it is, I, I, that's what I think. That's, that's great that you asked about it. And I can answer the, uh, that, that uh, we are talking about the confirmation bias about, about the, or the sunk cost fallacy about the, in, in the beginning, because I think that it is, it is one of the things that even the big corporate businesses are prone to. I, I, you, might, you might think about the you know, different biases that you have, uh, that you know, if you are a consumer, you are more, more, uh, it is more probable that you are, uh, fall prey to them because you are not prepared in this way. But in this case, I think that both consumers and the corporate, like even corporate businesses, they are all equally, uh, all equally likely to enter this kind of bad, bad deals for this reason. Right. It makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and it's unfortunate too, because you, people really, really, really want to feel as though there's going to be a payoff for the work that they did. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the thing. It, it's, it's an emotional thing. It's like you said, we, we have that gut feeling and that gut feeling says, don't lose what you did. And it's, it's fear of loss that keeps us in those deals. It's it's so funny that you that you mentioned that it's not only negotiations because I think that like even overeating may be may be a, a good example of that. So when we commit to a given behavior, then we are just we we are as you know uh, failing to see any other options. We are not leaving this food on the table. We are just no. We are going to finish it. So it is it is in a sort of sort of way funny, but it has very bad consequences in all all ways so yeah I, I think that we should also uh, learn from the project management from the guys in project management you know and think of that of that process, negotiation processes also in the project management way because they're the alternative cost and all the all the facts that are with the uh, weighing the options they are much more they are pretty structured so we can also learn from project management because they are all they are they are talking much more about the sunk cost fallacy. They are more willing to consider that as a factor in their, uh, in their daily life. And so I, I think that in negotiations, we, we sometimes think of it as, a, as of an art and we might fail to you know, put some structure on it. Makes sense. And, and what do you think about the, the impact of confirmation bias on these deals as well? Yeah, so, so I think that when, if, if we say that the, the some cost fallacy makes you enter a bad deal, then confirmation bias makes you stay in this deal and not uh, instead of exiting it. So obviously, apart from very bad, uh, like um, exclusivity, exclusivity paragraphs or something like that, or, or very bad termination clauses, apart from that, a very big reason is confirmation bias. Because if you believe in something, like for example, let's say that I am, I am, a, I am a buyer, and I think that this kind of uh, an structured RFX, like structured auction, let's say auction or reverse auction, is the best way to to get the, the the right product or deliver the right value to the company. Then I might be unconsciously gathering and interpreting and you know looking for the information that will confirm my choice. So if I have chosen a supplier from because I was using cert my certain beliefs about the the procurement process, and this this choice is the result of this of this process. Then I might be, you know, looking for measures of, say, 
supplier performance or uh, how I value the deal. I am looking for the measures that will be that will confirm it. And the same goes for for sales. If you, if your core belief as a sales rep is that I must have big clients, I must have big customers. I'm I'm aiming for for big names. Like I want to have this corporation in my portfolio. Then you might be unconsciously picking the the measures or the ways to to confirm your belief. Like if and that's why you have the you first have the sourcing when in in the in the sunk cost fallacy you go with the wrong deal. Then in contract management or the in the in the account management you might say you. You are picking the measures that will confirm that you have made the right choice in sourcing or you have picked or you have won the right customer in the first phase. So it is like a vicious cycle. You might be repeating this model forever and you, are, you, know, you, you might be entering a bad deal, then assessing the bad deal with measures that will confirm that this is a good deal and then you enter it again. As long as your company has money, you can do that, but you know, it's not, not, very, profi not very profitable. So I, I think that they create a, a perfect couple, so to say, the Sankos for us, you have confirmation bias. Yeah, a, a very dysfunctional couple. That's <laughs> <As laughs> definitely a relationship that you don't want to be a part of. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think, I think relationships are a great example of both of them, right? Of both of those yes, biases. Yes, because yes, a lot of times true. we end up in, in relationships that we should have exited a long time ago. That's true. But That's we say true. we invested two years into this person, then I'm, I'm not going to let yes. it go. That's 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 so true, and I think that it also uh, it it also illustrates that you know the first thing that is that you don't want this, to take this cost, but you are also not you also know that you are going to take this cost. You are you will have to accommodate this cost if you are going to you know meet and uh, uh, another person, and you are going to be in another relationship. So it's like double losing losing twice, so to say, because you first have to you know. Sunk all this. You you think about all this cost that you have already uh, incurred, and then you think that oh my god, I'm going to do it again. So, <laughs> right, I'd say it's it's a double trouble. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation, and um, I I really like the point that you made when it came to confirmation bias because with confirmation bias, it impacts not only what we see but also what we look for. And so, yes. for instance, if you're doing due diligence on a company that you want to do business with, you will look for positive articles about this yes. business. You're not gonna say um, ABC Corp bad, you're gonna Google ABC Corp good, and it, it skews the information that you see. So it's not mm -hmm. even just the fact that you're, you're not processing it the right way, but you're even cherry picking the information that you allow your yes. brain to process. Yes, and I, I think it's important just to highlight the fact that it's not something that somebody is doing something uh, that somebody is performing those actions, doing something wrong. They are not. They, this is this might be totally unconscious. This is not about people doing wrong things. This is a separate thing that people maybe maybe they, there might be fraudulent behaviors in a company or people just want to you know get a promotion and just. Uh, make sure that their superiors think of their deals as the best ones. But this is totally separate. This is about tricking your own brain. So you are tricking your own brain into thinking that you have done the right thing when, you, when in fact you have done something that's not to your advantage. Exactly. So. 
This is great. Well, perfect. Well, let's move on to the next one um, where we talk about negotiation and information. And so something I always say on the podcast is negotiation is an information game. Yeah. We want to learn as much as we can. And so you have a very interesting take on, on that concept. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that too. Yeah, and that's that's true that, that you talk about it a lot. And I, I remember, I I really recall how the, the episodes that that you you were mentioning in, and I thought that that well, that's that's insightful. That's that's that's, that's something something that sometimes seems so obvious, but we still forget about it. That we just love to talk and love to give our. Uh, our knowledge to, to people who we are trying to win the negotiations with or like and so we are still still falling prey to that but i think that it is um, as you mentioned the information in there there is a there is a, there are situations in which gathering more information may be to your disadvantage so this is something that's called information bias so i think it is uh, the, the the like the point that i want to make is that if you are gathering lots of information that you are trying to have a very uh, very good grasp of every uh, every subject that you are negotiating on that you are you are trying so to say become an expert in things uh, that you are trying to comprehend all the or all, all the uh, all the knowledge that the other party has and you are trying to become expert yourself you are you might become overwhelmed with this information so this can all this can also be uh, so our cognitive resources are limited and uh, they 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 uh, they cannot be expanded forever so if you if you think about this getting all this information or comprehending all this information you are you, are, you, you simply may end up in a stalemate in a stalemate because you will you will you, your brain will no longer be able to make use of this information so information is good as long as your brain can do something with it when when you have the amount of information that prevents you from from actioning for taking the decision it is actually a very bad thing and i think it is especially important in cases when you are negotiating something that's not of a high value to you that's something that uh, is not you know like when when you are not buying a house but you are buying a um, a chair and you are trying to become an expert, you know, you know, in buying a chair. You might think that everything. You might say that everything is a chance for negotiations, but I think that for the sake of sanity, you have to very carefully pick what you are negotiating and where, in in which cases exactly you want to become an expert and gather more information. And I think that a good way of thinking about this, about this information overload, or this information bias that more information is always better, is that how much can you gain by gathering more information? And is this gain more than what you are losing on doing this, re this research? So you have this kind of balance. I'm doing, I'm wasting, or I'm investing my time in research. So this, this uh, takes time, takes my time. You know, my, if you say time is money, then obviously this, this, have a very, this has a certain cost to it. And on the other hand, you have certain gains that you can you can get from from you know gathering more information and sometimes like when you are picking a hotel for example you might say that you know investing two days or three days into look into looking for a hotel that will be marginally better than the one that you would have picked in two minutes is just a pure waste of time right 
You're spot on. You're spot on. And the, the term that comes to mind for me is satisficing. So the blending <laughs> of uh, yeah. satisfaction and sufficing, like this is yeah. enough. And it's really yes. hard to do. And I think a lot of times our over analyst, uh, our, our over um, indulgence in information mm-hmm. comes from fear. And a lot of times we procrastinate through mm-hmm. information gathering. And uh, one of the things I've started to do is set a shot clock for me. So that's a term from basketball. So, you know, you have 24 seconds to shoot a, shoot a basket in, uh, in basketball. And so I say, okay, in order for me to prepare for this negotiation, I need to put a cap on it. So I'm only going to prepare for 90 minutes and I'm going to mm-hmm. set a timer on my phone and wherever I am, I'm done. And so for me, especially when I was practicing a lot as a, as a mm-hmm. business lawyer, I have to be mindful of the clock too, because I can't just waste the whole retainer on preparing and then tell my client, Hey, I just blew through thousands <laughs> of dollars doing some Google research, but Hey, I'm really prepared. And if you pay me more, <laughs> I'll be actually, I'll actually be able to perform <laughs> by that like, time. Like, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm getting a new lawyer. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great point. And so when it comes to recognizing that, that potential limit, what are some things that they should keep in mind when it comes to understanding when you know enough? I, I think that um, what, I me- what I mentioned, that weighing the potential benefit of the deal versus the potential loss of the time that you, that you are dealing with, that's that that pretty much this balance between the gains and losses can give you a, a, a good uh, a good grasp of whether you are on track and the problem the problem with the problem with that is that people often don't think of their own time in terms of resources so this this might be you know that that I'm looking for something and you know I might be looking for something for two days and if I if I save on it two dollars well I can be proud of myself because I have saved two dollars but yeah okay but you you could have you know earned two hundred dollars in this time so you are not you have not uh, this was not a great deal but but I think that this is this is the the main culprit so to say so th- this is the problem that people don't think of their time as they would have been thinking about money. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think you're spot on. And then uh, just for the interest of time, I want to move on to the, the next one, which is, which is really sure. interesting. And um, it's called the incentive super response uh, bias. So can you tell us about that? I, I, yes, sure. This is a very sophisticated name for something very simple. But, but uh, that's, uh, that's, that's something that I, I really uh enjoy talking about because i think this is a big big problem in in uh, in sometimes in procurement or for it is a problem for whoever who tries to be excessively objective so if we are looking for and very objective measures of some things um, of some things like for example we are trying to break everything down into hourly rates we might end up with sub suboptimal results to say the least so uh, I, this this originated from my conversation with a, with a marketing manager. Like my cousin is marketing manager, and I've been talking to him about you know how procurement hates marketing and how marketing hates procurement because they are trying to do the other the, you know they are trying to do the reverse. So in procurement, you might be laughing you know that they are willing to that marketing might be willing to pay everything and just disregard all the kind of you know terms and conditions for the sake of a premium feel. And on the other hand, that uh, you, marketing guys might think, you know, that procurement is just uh, lacking the, the imagination 
to to understand the, the no, no this idea that they have in mind and i think that what procurement sometimes tries to do is to to be very objective and try to put very objective measures like in case of marketing agency you try you you might ask for hourly rates so you try to have agreed agreed with hourly rates of marketing obviously this is not normally the only uh the only um factor <laughs> i was looking for a word for too long sorry <laughs> this, this obviously is normally not the only factor but still we are we are very drawn to look for something that looks like apples to apples we are look, looking for something that we can compare between so if you are doing that you might you have to be very careful because by doing that you might be incentivizing the wrong behavior so in 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 to in a nutshell you might be you are actually paying for what you are looking for so you are just getting more of what you have paid for so if you are paying for the hour you will get more hours so this is this is something that is very easy to to understand but it still happens and if you think that you are you you know you in this for example tier of a marketing director or let's say marketing manager you are paying less and you are well I'm great. I have chosen the best agency. They can deliver all that, and they have the best hourly rates. And then you will you you will see a very very long hours that they have worked on it for a long hours for some reason. So the invoice might still be same. You might not have you might not gain anything, but the, but you except from from your own feeling, you know, being objective. So what, to keep what's important to keep in mind is to incentivize the things that you are looking for and not you know some kind of byproduct of that that's really interesting it, and it makes a lot of sense and especially uh for me as a lawyer we we see this uh when you're when you're paying your lawyer by hour the sometimes the retainer just magically seems to that's disappear true. you know <laughs> um, and so it's a it's a tough situation um, I, and to clarify i am not talking about me i know in the interest <laughs> in, in the industry in general that has occurred <laughs> and sure. so but I, I think it's really important to to keep those things in mind and I, I love the example that you gave because it's not just with our external types of negotiations it's also internal with the people that we work yes. with we want to incentivize people properly and um a lot of times we don't put enough thought into what the incentives we're utilizing uh, yes. could end up creating and i, I think a, a great uh, resource for people on this is anything written by Dan Ariely, uh, yes, the behavioral yes, economist. Him, so. <laughs> it's really interesting talking about how sometimes the, the very things that we are seeking to incentivize are actually diminished by our endeavors. Mm -hmm. So I, I, this, I think that's, a, first of all, new term for most people, the incentive super response um, uh, bias. And I think it's, it's very informative too. And I know we're we're coming up on time here, so before we go, um, I want to give you an opportunity to to leave the audience with a little bit of advice based on everything that we talked about today. What are some key things that they can take home in order to improve their their negotiation outcomes? Sure, I, I think it's a very valid point to have something a bit more general as an advice because we have been talking about very specific cases. But if you look for for the cognitive biases, there are hundreds of them or the hundreds of fallacies. So you might be lost what you should be what you should be doing. And I think that 
two, gen two very general, two, two things that are, are applicable, applicable to almost all biases is first of all, to look at your resources. So you should be looking at what you might be missing. So which resources I might be missing in negotiations. So am I missing time? Do I have enough time? Did, like, uh, am, am, am I missing expertise? Am I like, because I, I'm just trying to make a decision and I really don't have enough knowledge to do that? Or, uh, you know, am I missing any other kind of resource? So you might, you might think about very specific, about very specific cases. Like if you, if you, do you really want to call instead of mailing or do you really want to pick up the phone? Because then you might have less time and are you prepared to do that? So you might think how prone you are to certain certain errors, to certain problems with your thinking in terms of those resources that are scarce. And the other the other part of it, so first first of all, look at your resources and pay attention to the ones that might be scarce. On the other hand, you should be looking at the part like if you if you divide the the thinking process or or your decision process into two very big very like general stages you might first of all look at what what uh, presents to me as an available option and then you might look at how am i judging those options so even something as easy as that as you know separating separating those two stages can be very beneficial but if you if you even ask yourself this question that Am I missing something? Is it, is it possible that I have not been taking into consideration some option which deserves my attention? And then when you go to the later stage, am I giving equal opportunity for these alternatives? You know, to, am I giving them, them enough uh, time? Am I, am I giving them, them enough attention? So yeah, I, I think this is, this is obviously very generic and you might go into more detail when you think about specific uh, biases. But I think those two are applicable almost everywhere. Absolutely, and and yeah, I think that's a, the, a great place to end because again, we're we're encouraging self awareness uh, mm -hmm. to recognize that there is actually something to think about because that's the biggest problem when it comes to these these logical fallacies is that we're not aware that they're occurring. Yeah. We think we're thinking appropriately, and so just becoming more aware of them can help us to to take. Uh, take notice of our cognitive processes to make sure that we're mm -hmm. we're doing the right thing. So that's true. I I appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun, Maje. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and um, we're looking forward to have you back uh, very soon. I'm really glad that uh, that uh, I could I, I have joined, and I'm really glad that you have invited me. It was really a pleasure to speak to a fellow psychologist about <laughs> negotiations. So. Likewise, my Thank friend. You. Thank you very much. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.